Man, we are so thankful for Pastor Brady Boyd, for Pam Boyd, for the legacy that they are leaving here at New Life Church. Because, guys, here's the truth. God is the one who ultimately does all the work for us, but is guys like Brady who have helped make a thing like New Life East even possible. We don't sit in this gym with this bear on the back wall without a guy like Brady Boyd. So, man, we are so thankful for him. If you happen to see him, if you're friends with him on social media, give him a big thank you today. Let him know that he's loved and cared for. All right, one last time, stand back up to your feet, and then I'll let you sit down finally, and then I'll talk for a little while. We're going uh, to say the Nicene Creed together. If you're new with us at New Life East, here's why we do this. We don't do this to sort of indoctrinate you. Um, we do this because throughout church history, the Nicene Creed has been a statement of faith, a declaration of faith that has stood the test of time. And what it does when we say it is it reminds us that we are not just a part of this church that is meeting right here in this moment, but we are a part of a global movement of Jesus followers, not just in 2022, but throughout history. So New Life East, would you join me this morning? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, Eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you believe that, you can say it with me. Amen. You can take a seat. If we haven't had the chance to meet, again, my name is Rory. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in the second week of a series of talks on the book of Nehemiah. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Nehemiah. For many of us, it's a book that we've never read before. It's pretty short. It sits in the Old Testament, and most of us, we tend to avoid the Old Testament anyways, right? In our, like, Bible in a year plan, we get to, like, Exodus, and then we kind of phase out. Nehemiah, though, is this incredible story of one man who receives a call from God. And what Andrew Arndt talked about last week was that What happens at the beginning of this story is Nehemiah is sort of aware, he becomes aware of what is going on in the world through having this moment where God presses this call, this invitation on him, and the way that Nehemiah responds is with big emotions. He responds with a broken heart. And how couldn't you? What he receives is bad news that his homeland, that his people are in disarray, that the city that he knows and loves has been destroyed and the wall that was once being rebuilt has stopped and he's filled with these big emotions of sadness. And what Andrew helped us see is that it's actually those big emotions that help us get a picture of what God might be trying to do, not just in the world, 
but in our lives as well. I think of the great quote by the late Frederick Buechner. He just passed away not long ago, but he said these words at one point. He said, by and large, a good rule for finding out what your calling is is that it's the kind of work that usually calls you, excuse me, the kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work that you need most to do and that the world most needs to have done. And then the part of the quote that many of us know is the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's the place where those big emotions that you feel when you hear stories and see things going on in the world and the deep needs of the world sort of connect. That is where calling is found. But, but let's be honest, in church, calling creates a bit of an awkward thing for some of us because calling has this implication that there's like this secret thing going on in the world and if you can just grab it at the right moment, if you can sort of seize the day at the right second, if you can crack this secret knowledge, you too can figure out what it is you were exactly made to be doing with your life. Many of you can remember when you were 18, 19, going off to college or going to trade school or stepping into a career, and the thing in the back of your mind was, man, I hope I'm doing what God wants me to be doing. I hope that I'm getting this right. Maybe even you said to yourself, I hope I'm living out my calling. What I've learned about calling in my short time on this earth is that calling is rarely about this one long decision that will stretch for the rest of your life, but it's more about the seasons in which we find ourselves. I think about Nehemiah as a, as a good example. Nehemiah is not a professional wall builder. He's not in that vocation. And yet what God does is come to him and says, you are going to help rebuild this wall. It's not about what he will do for the rest of his life, but it is about what he will do in that moment. So some of you, you find yourselves in this room asking questions about your career and your vocation. You find yourself asking questions. Maybe you're a mom of new kids and you're wondering, should you stay home? Should you become a stay-at-home mom? Should you stay in your career? What is it that God is calling you to? Many of you, though, see things around the world, places of pain and discomfort, and you feel like God might be inviting you to do something. What I'm interested today is talking about that feeling, that response to calling, but I'm not interested in helping you figure out what your calling is. What I'm trying to help us do today is recognize through the life of Nehemiah that there are certain qualities that reveal themselves as we begin to unearth our calling, and the risk is not that we will miss it, but the risk is that we will not be prepared for it when it reveals itself. With that in mind, let's read Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him, which is a funny line. There's some belief that the king with a woman, a beautiful woman next to him, would never be able to respond in a negative way to a request. 
asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy him because the gracious hand of God was on me. The king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Let's pray. God, as we meet together as a church, as we open up the Scriptures, we ask one thing, and it is that you would somehow meet us in the midst of them. That what you would do in these moments is give us an awareness that you have something to say to us. Whether it be about calling, whether it be about the things going on in our lives, whether it be about the things that are going on in this world, we simply ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would talk to us. So we ask that today. For the person who sits in here who church has become just a religious activity, has become nothing more than an exercise, we ask that you would give us new joy, a new sense of hope, a new sense of opportunity as we engage this morning. For the person who who hasn't been in church in a long time and is here and is unsure of what God might mean or have to do with them, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you make this a space where we can commune with you and leave as transformed people? We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Starting off thinking about calling, there's something interesting that happens in Nehemiah. It doesn't happen in chapter 2. It actually happens in the first verse of chapter 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, everyone say Kislev, In the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, jump with me to chapter 2, the very first verse. It says, in the month of Nisan, everyone say Nisan. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Something interesting happens between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Kislev would be the equivalent in the Jewish calendar for us, think maybe, November of a year. So Kislev is Thanksgiving, eating a big feast, families around, getting ready to go into the holidays. Nissan, though, is the equivalent of maybe March for us in our calendar. So think about this. For Nehemiah, he's had this big moment. His life has been sort of shattered to pieces. He's felt big emotions. And five months go by, five whole months Five months is basically from now until the end of the year. It's between now and Christmas. Five whole months go by for this man who has had this burden laid upon him. Five months of waiting. Five months of receiving a call, receiving a burden from God, and just waiting. First thing I want you to hear this morning is that the reality of living out a call from God is that it often requires waiting. 
It often requires some semblance of patience. Think about it. He goes five months praying, fasting, holding on to this burden that he's been given before he ever even thinks about approaching the king and having a conversation. Which is weird for most of us to think about. We live in a culture that is fairly fast-paced, fairly quick to respond to things. I mean, how many times have you seen this? I, I can think of countless times in my generation, specifically growing up, there were these moments where a news article would break, and we would find out that kids were being kidnapped and harmed in a foreign country. And someone would craft a really well-worded Facebook post, and they would start a GoFundMe, and they would tell everyone that they knew about it, and within about eight days, they didn't care anymore. They would have these moments where a big burden was sort of fleshed upon them, and they would feel excited and want to do something. But there was no longevity to it. I wonder how many people in this room have ever experienced that. You hear a story of brokenness in the world and you think, maybe I can do something. And yet for some reason, that tweet you sent out really didn't have the energy you thought it would. That conversation you had where you told someone, you really need to think about this, didn't happen. We live in a culture where we hear about the burdens of the world and very quickly they sort of flame out in our own lives. What Nehemiah teaches us is that the quick reactive response to a calling is not necessarily the right response to it. Nehemiah waits five whole months before he ever even approaches the king with what is going on in his life. And many of you know this to be true. Some of you, you, you are walking in what you would say is like your calling in this moment. You felt a call from God to change vocations, and you did it, and now you're sort of leaning into it. But you know what we all find when we have that moment where God sort of presents something to us or says something to us? Rarely is God all that clear on the first go-round. God usually tends to give us sort of a broad idea about what might be happening. Right? I think about my wife who's asked questions about being a stay-at-home mom or diving deeper into her career, the conclusions she's come to have never been, well, you know, Brooke, what you need to do is get on LinkedIn, go to this profile, fill out this application. It's never that. It's usually pretty broad. Calling often takes time to become clear. I think about my own life. When I was 16, 17 years old, had just become a Christian, and I had this awareness that maybe I was called into ministry. I remembered saying that out loud. I'm, I'm called into vocational ministry. I was 16, 17 years old. I didn't know what I was called into, but I had this pressing feeling that I was invited. God was inviting me into something. What I didn't realize when I was 16 or 17 is that ministry has a lot of different definitions. For example, if someone were to come to me and go, Rory, would you like to do kids ministry? I would say, I don't think you want me to babysit your kids. I'm just, I'm just not good at it there's a high chance that they get hurt or are poorly influenced. Like, you just don't want me, you just don't want me doing this. Rory, do you want to be a, you want to do student ministry? In a pinch, I can do student ministry. Like, I can make sure no one dies, but I'm not, like, called to it. Rory, Rory, maybe you should do worship ministry. And I would just say it is God's gift to all of you that I don't sing on this microphone. I just talk. I try to be as monotone as possible. Or Rory, 
you could go into the mission field. I don't even like camping, so I don't know how missions would even work for me. You recognize there's these moments where you have this general realization that God's inviting you to something, but rarely on the first go-round is it clear. It wasn't until I was probably 24 years old that I had clarity about what ministry being called into vocational ministry meant. I was down on a mission trip, believe it or not, in the Dominican Republic, and there was this big revival service happening where there were going to be people baptized, and they said, Rory, we want you to preach at this service. And I thought, no, you don't, but okay. And I get up there, and I start preaching. I was supposed to preach for 30 minutes, probably 20 minutes into it. As I'm starting to, like, have the you-should-believe-in-Jesus part of the talk, the, like, gospel part of the talk, and all of the electricity in the building we're in goes out. Now, you could read that one of two ways. You could read that as God really doesn't want you to be a preacher, does he? But the way that the people and the pastors and the leaders in the room read it was they immediately ran outside to see if any other spot on the block had lost power, and it was just the room we were in. And there was this keen awareness in the room that there was something happening. There was spiritual oppression. There was spiritual pushback on the idea that someone might present the gospel to this room of people. And what I can remember is from the moment the lights went out to when I got off stage, I don't remember anything that happened. I sort of blacked out. I ended up off stage, and everyone who was with us on the trip went, that was the best sermon I'd ever heard. And I went, great, because I don't remember any of it. I had this moment, though, where I got off stage and I looked at a dear friend of mine and I was like, that is what I want to do for the rest of my life. That is what I'm called to. You don't want me holding babies in the nursery. You don't want me in a foreign country. But, man, preaching, that is the thing. The truth about it is this. It is in those seasons of waiting and patience with God that your calling becomes clear. And what I know to be true is there are some people in this room who have felt called by God to do a thing, but that calling came years ago, and what you're wondering is when is it ever going to happen? It is in these seasons of waiting and patience with God that calling begins to sort of reveal itself, that clarity begins to show up. This happens not just to humans, not just to people in, in modern history. This happened all throughout the Bible. Think about Abraham. God comes to him and says, you will be the father of a great nation. And it takes generations for him to see this reality come true. You think about Moses. God comes to him and says, I want you to lead the people to freedom. And Moses does it. But Moses finds himself for the next 40 years wandering in the deserts with a bunch of complaining people. And he has moments where he goes, God, do I, uh, I kind of did the job. Do I have to do this? God's like, the call wasn't just to get him out. The call was to get them somewhere. What God is constantly doing in these seasons of waiting with us is bringing clarity into the places of our lives and clarity into the places of our calling. Think about, think about Jesus himself. I'm not proposing that Jesus didn't know what he came to earth to do. But one of the first major events that happens in the life of Jesus, he gets sent out for 40 days where? To the wilderness where he prays and he fasts. It's in these moments of waiting, friends, where God begins to clarify what it is that he might have us do. It's in the moments of sitting in the tension 
of feeling the burden, but not yet knowing what to do with the action that God begins to bring clarity into our lives. This is just how it works, which is a reminder to someone in this room that no time of waiting is ever wasted. No time of sitting and waiting for clarity is wasted time. It's time where God is doing something. He's transforming you. He's bringing things to light in your life. And what happens when the calling becomes clear, for Nehemiah at least, that is the moment when he finally takes a step. Think about this. The king, verse, chapter, verse 4, chapter 2, it says, The king said to me, what is it that you want? If you're Nehemiah, you could have said a million things. Well, what I want is more power in this kingdom. What I want is more control over the finances. I can shovel some off to my people. He says, what do you want? And then he prays to the God of heaven. God, this is, this is the moment. The king is asking me, what do I want? We might be able to take a step with this thing that you have placed on my heart. Verse 5, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. There's one small word in there that you need to pay attention to, and it's the word favor. Nehemiah says, if I have found favor, send me. The second thing that I want you to know today is simply this. The reality of living out your calling is that it requires favor from God. Now, when you think about the things you've been called to in life, whether it's to be a stay-at-home mom or it's to go out and be a missionary in the farthest reaches of the world, is you need favor from God on you. But most of us don't really know what favor is. We've heard the word sort of tossed around in the church, right? Someone says it when there's a, a really talented worship leader on stage, and we say, ah, oh, the, the favor is on them. Or someone gets on stage and they preaches, and we say, ah, oh, the favor of God is on them. Favor in the Bible from God is talked about in two ways. The first way that it's talked about, it's a word picture. It's this idea that what God is constantly doing with humanity is stooping down to the lowest of the lows and offering a gift to those people. He is stooping down, bending down, releasing favor onto people. It's the Hebrew word kanan. It's this picture of God stooping down and offering a blessing to people. And you know the beautiful thing about blessings is they can't be earned. You can't posture yourself in such a way that God goes, you know what, I think I'll give favor to them today. They've been well-behaved. They've said all the right things to their friends. This is not what God does with his blessings. He constantly extends favor to his people. Jesus is the ultimate picture of this. Every time Jesus ran in to a dying child, he stooped down and he extended favor to them. He runs into an adulterous woman who's getting ready to be stoned and he reaches down and he extends favor to her. This is who God is. He's constantly extending favor. But there is an interesting thing about the way that favor from God is also talked about in the scriptures. Not just that it's this free gift that you can't earn, but I think of the words of the psalmist because they often talk about it. Psalm 5, chapter 12. Surely, Lord, you bless the what? righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Or Psalm 84, the same thing. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows his favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. So there's this picture that God is constantly willing to reach down and extend his favor. But there is a thing that humans must understand that there is a way for us to live 
a righteous way for us to live in which the favor of God can't help but fall upon us. It is simultaneously a free gift, but the righteousness of your life is determined by the way we choose to live and walk with Jesus. This is what happens. So friends, as you think about the places that God has called you to, the roles that God has called you to, the the season in which you are in where God is inviting you into something, there's a worthwhile question to ask when we think about righteousness, and it's simply this. Where are the places in your life that have the hidden potential to keep you from living out the call of God? What we know about our God is that he constantly gives favor to even the broken, but that doesn't mean that he's hoping we are broken. He's hoping that we are walking in righteousness. Where are the places that have the hidden potential to keep you from living out the call that God has placed on your life in this moment. I think about Nehemiah. He's working for a king who is not his king. The amount of opportunity that Nehemiah could have had behind closed doors to gossip and talk shame about this guy who he served. The amount of time that Nehemiah, who was trusted with many things in this kingdom, could have not used those resources well, could have lived in a way that wasn't trustworthy. Where is the space for you that has the hidden potential to keep you from living out your call of God? Maybe it's those sorts of things, the places that you work. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's the way in which you carry yourself and treat others. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's the places of hidden sin in your life that are actually keeping God from being able to pour out his fullness of favor on you. I don't know what it is for you, but where are those places that are keeping you from living out the fullness of the calling on your life. Notice, though, there's something interesting about what Nehemiah says to the king. He doesn't just ask for favor from God. Look at what verse 5 says again. And I answered the king, if it pleases who? The king. And if your servant has found favor in his sight, whose sight is he talking about? The king. So what is Nehemiah saying? Nehemiah is recognizing that it doesn't just take favor from God for you to accomplish the thing that God has placed on your life. It also takes favor from men. The truth is the reality of living out your calling is that it requires favor from God and man. Now there's a weird thing that happens in churches when people say this. The amount of times I've heard someone say, well, God has called me to it, so it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Really? How's that going to work when you are doing a ministry that requires fundraising? And all of a sudden, you're not going to write a fundraising letter that says, I don't really care what you think about this. But would you please give me your life savings so that I can go serve underprivileged children around the world? It doesn't really work that way. We know this to be true. In fact, all throughout Scripture, this reality is laid out. I think of the words in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win what? Favor and a good name in the sight of God and? God and? God has actually set the world up. Get this that if you want to live a life of peace and prosperity, it is not okay to just go, well, God is pleased with me and that's all that matters. God is actually interested in you co-joining with your neighbors 
in the mission that he has sent you on, in the calling that he has placed on your life. He's inviting you to earn favor, not just with God, but also with man. So let me ask just some hypothetical questions. Maybe you're at work right now, and in your career, you feel like God has called you to more leadership, but those opportunities just don't seem to be opening up. Let's ask a really hard question. Have you served your boss? Have you led his his or her organization in a way that makes them find you favorable? What I love about Nehemiah, Nehemiah comes to the king sad. You know what the king says? I've never seen you sad like this before. Do you walk into the office with so much joy that your boss can't help but be excited and love when you're in a meeting? Or are you one of those people that things are never okay? That you're always pessimistic, you're always cynical about how things We'll go. Maybe you're in here and it's not about vocation. Maybe you're in here and you feel a calling to adopt kids, to foster kids, to step in and care for the the children who are the least of these among us. You know what you can't say to a foster care worker? I don't care what you say. God has called me to this. That's a pretty surefire way to not adopt a kid. The right question to ask is when those foster care workers come into your home Have you created a home and a safe environment that they will look at and go, these parents get it? Have you created a space of hospitality that when they step in, they think to themselves, I would love to be a part of this family. Maybe for you, it's it's not even that. Maybe it's the big thing. Maybe it's God is actually, you wonder if God is calling you into like vocational ministry to step out of the work field you're in and to step into something completely new and trust him with everything that you have? Let me ask you a question. I'm I'm not implying this on anyone, but have you served your home church well in the first place? Do the people that you serve next to think to themselves, man, I love when they show up. I love when they serve next to me on a Sunday. I I love when they show up and they serve communion with me. Do your pastors think to themselves, we love when they show up. We love when all of you show up, for the record. Well, most of you. Not Colin. (laughs) Do you have those moments where you're asking yourself, whose favor do I need? Whose favor do I need to secure to make this dream, this vision a reality? And am I praying for it? I think about when my wife and I moved here from Texas. We were trying to buy a house. As you all know, the real estate market has been crazy the last couple of years. We're trying to find a home to live in, and we finally find one. And in Texas, often what you do when you buy a home, many of you have done this in other places as well, is you, you create a cover letter, a little picture of your family so they can see how sweet you are. And my wife and I, we're not great in person, but you love us on a cover letter. That's how we got hired here. But we're great on a cover letter. You put our picture on a piece of paper. My wife writes a great note, sends it in. We, we find this house we want to buy, and our realtor comes to us and says, they're not accepting cover letters. And I'm like, we're done. We're out of it. Let's just move on to the next one. We'll keep going. No, what I did was I thought to myself, man, I've read Nehemiah before. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray that we have favor with this woman as she is thumbing through offers that we, for some reason, have an immense amount of favor with her. So we just started praying that as a family. God, would you give us favor with this woman? We knew her name. Would you give us favor with this woman? 
long story short, she ends up accepting our offer. Now, here's what's funny. We weren't allowed to write a cover letter. We weren't allowed to tell them anything about our family. We couldn't even play the I'm poor and in ministry card. We couldn't do any of that. Our realtor, though, who's incredible, she managed to sneak in when she submitted our offer. She said, you know, Rory and Brooke really want this house because they love the original wallpaper that you have up in the kitchen, which was true. It was true. My wife loves it. I could take it or leave it. Why do you put paper on a wall? Just paint it. Our realtor manages to sneak this in. You know why she ended up accepting our offer? Because of the wallpaper. Guys, listen, this is not the like, let me give you a magical prayer potion to pray thing. But if you want to see things change in your life with the people around you, I dare you to start praying, God, would you give me favor with these people? God, would you give me favor with my boss who I don't love? God, would you give me favor with my neighbors who we keep having conflict with? God, would you give me favor with the people I'm trying to step into a no vocation with? with? Watch what will happen to your lives. But here is the temptation if you do it. And we'll end with this. The temptation when you pray a prayer like that, you get a calling from God and you start putting a plan together and things start going your way. The temptation when it all comes to fruition is that you will believe the greatest lie, which is that you made it happen. But I love a line in Nehemiah. I'll say this before I read the scripture. The reality of living out your calling is that it requires the humility to recognize that it is God and only God who accomplishes the work. It is God and only God. I love this moment towards the end or towards the middle of chapter two. Nehemiah says, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have the letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. You want to talk about favor? Nehemiah looks at the king and says, I need you to write letters to other kings and rulers so that I can build a house that's in there. I can build the house that I'm going to live in. And the king's like, no problem. But this is the line. And because the great, go back one slide for me, Jake. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. Notice what Nehemiah doesn't say. Because I, I connived the king enough and got him to believe what I was doing. Because I was smooth enough to get the king to listen to me. Because I went to the king at the exact right time. Because I, Nehemiah doesn't say that. He says, it is because the gracious hand of God was on me that the king granted my request. Can I tell you, friends, as you begin to follow whatever it is that God is calling you to, whether it is to be a stay-at-home mom or to change your career, whether it is to start a nonprofit or start loving your spouse better. The only way in which any of it happens is not by your will, but it is by the gracious hand of God being upon you. God is the one who accomplishes the work. With that in mind, New Life East, would you stand to your feet? We're gonna step back into a moment of worship because it's only right as we have the ideas of calling and purpose and favor on our mind, it is only right to turn it back to him to recognize that without God, we will accomplish nothing. Without God, we will accomplish nothing of great purpose, but it is him and only him 
who can bring things to fruition in our lives. Let me pray over you this morning. God, we are thankful that you are the kind of God who has given us wisdom to move forward in what it is you you have called us to. We are thankful that you are the kind of God who has poured out blessing and favor on us. We are also thankful that you are the kind of God who is quick to forgive the spaces that is keeping us from experiencing the favor of your hands. So God, would you speak to us in these next moments? Call us to new things. Holy Spirit, would you call us to new careers? Would you call us to new cities? Would you call us to new ministries? Would you call us to even just start serving right here at New Life East? Would you call us to whatever it is you have for us? Would you help us have a clear view of it? And would you give us favor with those whom we need favor with? And would you give us the ability to give you praise when those things happen? We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is my firm foundation. He's the rock on which I stand. And when everything around me is shaken, well, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Cause He'll never let me down. He's faithful through
Just lift your voice with me this morning. Sing. So we come to the table this morning. Would you hold these elements in your hands? If you need them, the ushers have a basket by the door. Would you, would you grab them? But there are some of us in this room who have said, in our minds, as we hear a message on favor, I've done everything right. God, I've, I have put you ever before me. And still, my health, and still my marriage, and still my children. And it is so easy to say, God, is there more? Is there sin in my life? What is it? Why have you still kept yourself far from me? Why have I still not experienced favor? Sometimes favor doesn't look like we think it should. But in this moment of communion, could you look at these elements in your hands as an invitation from the Lord? He's inviting you in your doubt. He's inviting you in your frustration to a meal. And he's saying, would you just sit down with me? It's important for us in our grappling to still let the Lord search our hearts. As Psalm says, would you search our hearts, O Lord, and see if there's any offensive way in me. 
Maybe the offense this morning is just not believing. Maybe the offense is um, believing the lie that God does not want great things for you. Would you you soften your heart for a moment and receive this gift from the Lord? It was on the night that he was betrayed where he took bread. Would you break it? He says, even in your doubting, that I'm going to send my son to a cross to die for you because I love you. This is God's favor on you is the gift of his son. Would you receive it today? The same night after supper, he took the cup. Saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you gather, would you remember? Because guys, we need to be reminded. This is proof of his favor. Would you receive it today? And just give thanks. Give thanks in your heart for God is good. Give thanks in your heart because he's not abandoned you. He is close to the brokenhearted. Would you respond and sing the doxology? Praise God. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. New Life East, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. If you are in need of prayer after service today, some of our altar ministry team members will be back against the walls. They'd love to pray with you and talk with you as well. If not, we want to see you in fellowship hour for donuts. Hang out for a little bit. We hope you guys have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.